0: Too Long, Didn't Read, the weekly podcast from the Alan Turing Institute, the National Institute for Data Science and AI. Hello and welcome to Too Long, Didn't Read, where we look at some of the most interesting and impactful stories in data science and artificial intelligence from the past week. We read so you don't have to. I'm Jonah, a content producer here at The Turing.
1: And I'm Smira, a research assistant in data justice and global ethical futures here at the Alan Turing Institute. That's quite a
0: title you've got there, Smera. I was, um, I was trying to find a um, sort of acronym so we could summarise it for you and I used an AI acronym generator. Oh, no. Um, and it's, it's actually still going. It says zero acronyms found, but the initials do themselves make an acronym. So we should maybe from now on call you DJ Jeff.
1: Oh my God. DJ. I love DJ Jeff. Ooh. Oh, that could be my new DJ name. I like that. Digital
0: justice, global ethical futures, DJ
1: Jeff.
0: I like that a lot more than DJ Noodles. Who's DJ Noodles?
1: DJ Noodles is a name I came up with for my budding music career. I've just started off as a DJ, so, you know, the the contracts are still coming in. But it's mostly just a backup in case the whole tech superstar (laughs) doesn't actually work out. Okay.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, DJ Noodles uh, becomes DJ Jeff. You heard it here first. I have an important question,
1: has the Jetsons
0: era finally arrived?
1: Oh, I wish. But unfortunately, no, we haven't reached that level of tech yet. And the Jetsons was set in 2062. So maybe we still have time if the world doesn't fall apart and crumble before then.
0: (laughs) So in case that cultural touch point slipped you by, um, the Jetsons was a cartoon about a family living in the space age. They had things like a robot cleaner, a dog called Orbit, um, video calls, automated appliances and a flying car. We have video calls, we have smart homes and now we have Flying cars. An article about a new car that flies and requires no pilot license caught my eye this week. Smearer, WTF, is this real? These Evtols, I think they're called. Will I be able to fly around in my car one day? It's Um, Evie
1: Tall, by the way.
0: Oh. (laughs)
1: Uh, but yeah, EVTOLs or EVTOLs, however you wish to pronounce it, is an electric vertical takeoff and landing system. So it's a form of an unmanned aerial vehicle, kind of like a drone for the skies, an Uber for the skies, if you will.
0: Wait, they're unmanned, so I'm not going to be able to drive it myself.
1: In some instances, what... The- I need to know if I am driving the robot flying <laughs> <line> car, mirror. <laughs>
0: nearer-
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't trust you with it, but I guess maybe in time someone might be able to. But no, the whole point of this is to be unmanned. But we're not really at that stage right now. It's currently in a stage of trialing and testing. So as of now, there are pilots still driving the largely... Taking part in the in in driving, helicoptering, piloting? Piloting. <laughs> <laughs> flying. flying. That's the word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have so we do have pilots in charge of flying these aircrafts as of now. So they can take charge if there's any malfunction or if there are failures. And they're also important to communicate with air traffic control to ensure that there is no collision and, you know, prevent any kind of catastrophe like that. But once this is in place and the vehicle seems to be able to fly without the need of human input, then yeah, maybe we actually will see flying cars in the future. And who knows, you might not have to fly it, Jonah, but you can definitely sit and enjoy the views of London as you zoom around the city.
0: That would be amazing. Um, I presume AI plays a big part in these helitropic cars?
1: Yes, they do. Um, it uses data science, um, sensors in multiple parts of the vehicle to make sure that, say, the wings are going well, that the nose is tipped up instead of down, as well as complex computing to chart a path, navigate different surroundings, and also respond to stimuli. So if there's excessive rain, if someone, say, throws a rocket at it or similar such stimuli. So it's not dissimilar to the tech that we see behind autonomous or semi-autonomous um, cars on the road, but of course that would mean it's somewhat of the same threats and issues that we see with the cars as well. That would be so cool, but the skies are going to get pretty busy, isn't it? Going to burden the air traffic control
0: with way more work?
1: Yes, Jora, you've you've absolutely nailed it. Air traffic control is already inundated. So the U.S., for instance, is in the process of setting up a new system. NASA and and the Federal Aviation Authority are coming together to set up what is being called the Unmanned Aerial System Traffic Management, or for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to call it the Drone Traffic Management.
0: That's nice catchy. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. I think I think NASA should hire me. But yes, with the creation of this new drone traffic management, it would take a huge burden off current air traffic control, especially if these drones are going to be more widespread. Another important aspect of it is that there are communication issues, With the drones that are in the air versus the planes as we know them now. And air traffic control, as it is, is not equipped to handle these communication differences. But also, as I'd mentioned earlier, with the pilot being on board, that's an important first step for future automation to ensure that they are looking into every risk that might arise. So, pilots are extremely capable individuals who can notice when there is a fault in the system and they can notice when there is a malfunction in a component and take control from a drone. And these are important aspects because, say, if Jonah, you and I were on our little Uber of the skies without a pilot on board with the tech as it is right now, we would not know when a component in the system is failing, how to take over if the traffic collision avoidance system or the TCAS system um, also fails to report to us that there are other planes in the sky. And more importantly, there's a lot more work to be done and a lot of time for us to think about whether we want all these drones to be flying overhead they're not going to be flying at the same height as airplanes so they're going to be a lot closer to the ground so expect a lot more whizzing around of these drones if they are to be commonplace.
0: Yeah I'm not sure how I feel about that.
1: Do you want a bit of positive news then?
0: Yes please.
1: A lot of the companies that are looking into this technology are also looking at investing in sustainable aviation fuel and more renewable sources of energy to keep these systems up in the air and these forms of fuel are not exactly carbon negative but they're carbon neutral which is still a huge step up from the current emissions we see from planes flying around so maybe a bit of of good news okay yeah yeah i'll take that thank you
0: (laughs) so it sounds like we're not exactly jetsons yet but um maybe maybe not too far around the corner from jetsons o'clock
1: i'm waiting for the talking dog bit
0: that would be cool definitely (laughs) Posting just a six-second video on social media uses the same amount of power as boiling 100 litres of water. That's what I read this week anyway. It made me think twice about uploading a particularly funny video of my cat seemingly discovering its tail for the first time. Exploring this article, I read some interesting research done by Earth.org about the environmental impact of AI tools. An example they give is for a simple conversation on ChatGPT with between twenty to fifty questions. Gotta say that seems like a very not simple conversation to me. But anyway, twenty to fifty questions consumes the equivalent of a five hundred milliliter bottle of water. Ooh, thirsty, uh, Smira. Most of us are aware that using the internet requires energy, electricity to power the user's device and power the machines used the other end. But can you tell me a bit more about how these AI and digital platforms use water and why so much?
1: Yeah, I think with ChatGPT, as you said, there's so much of electricity consumption into analysing and computing all of that data. Um, a lot of that goes in, especially at the trialling and testing phases of the AI project lifecycle or the development lifecycle. Uh, but in terms of why it consumes that much water is down to the hardware. To make it simple, Jonah, do you remember the times when our laptops would heat up so much, we had to get heat resistant pads to prevent, say, burning our thighs? Yes, burning laptops
0: results in burnt tops of laps.
1: Yeah. So imagine that same laptop, multiply it so many times that it can fit your entire room. Now imagine the amount of heat that's going to come if all those laptops run simultaneously. That
0: would burn my room down. Pretty
1: much. And that's why you need massive water pumps to ensure that these hardware systems stay cool, the internal mechanics don't get fried or worse, go up in flames because it takes a lot of money to build it and a lot of environmental costs by trying to cool it down.
0: Where's the water coming from? Is it water that we are taking from people?
1: In part, it is in fa- water that we are taking from people, but it isn't entirely the kind of water that we get out of our taps. Uh, these systems are cooled using an electrically non-conductive or a dielectric coolant which is seen as a more efficient way than just setting up 600 air conditioners, which also take up even more water. So that they are trying to find more efficient ways to reduce water consumption. But at the heart of it, if this infrastructure continues to exist in territories that are facing water shortages, we might be looking at something more devastating for the people who live in the immediate surroundings.
0: So presumably we could be uh, doing things like recycling the steam that's created from cooling, or could we use sewage water or deep sea water or does that have ramifications as well
1: yeah so if we use sewage or deep sea water what we're going to get is smelly
0: server farms
1: that too but also you're, you're going to ruin the infrastructure you're going to ruin the hardware they're meant to be cooled in particular conditions and if you cool it using different forms it might either conduct electricity or it might lead to chemical and physical reactions which is not good for the hardware system
0: okay so if my laptop heats up don't wee on it is what you're saying
1: Preferably not, Jonah. I'm not sure what you've been up to. Um,
0: So here's a question for you. Is it better um, environmentally to read the newspaper in print or is it better to read it online?
1: In terms of the conversation of moving back to paper or turning to electric sources of information and websites. So some studies have found that to an extent, uh, moving to digital media is more sustainable. But it's important to know that It's not easy to measure this. It's not easy to say the environmental cost of printing one newspaper is better than the cost of one Google search because they're not equitable. Google needs servers to run this information. There's cloud computing. There's a lot of different elements that go into it. Um, So it's not very easy to do that. But... It's also important for maybe listeners to keep in mind that it's not easy to wag a finger at someone else and say you are not doing well because you are not using a more sustainable source because for a lot of people around the world, electronic or digital means of getting information is probably all they have and maybe there is no access to a physical newspaper and we have to try and find a balance between the great information that we have access to and The environmental costs of it and maybe just to harken back to our previous episode also be mindful of the free flow of information and say the disinformation that comes from it
0: so is there anything that the internet giants could and should be doing about this
1: So one thing that these tech companies can do is build data centers in parts of the world with good renewable energy sources. So we know that Norway and Denmark have very good wind farms and have really capitalized on hydroelectrics. But it also points towards moving to solutions that involve looking into sustainable and renewable energy options regardless of where we are in the world because with the research that's coming out it looks like there are more and more ways we can live more sustainable lives
0: cool thanks mira well i'm gonna be a little bit more um careful about how i use the internet in future and hopefully the big tech companies will follow suit smira you recognize my face right Yes. Good. That is a good segue to our next story, facial recognition. Oh, that was really
1: bad, Jordan. How long (laughs) did you spend on that? (laughs) A while.
0: Quite a while. (laughs) This week, Clearview AI, a company which lets its users search a database of people's faces collected from the internet, including social media sites, has won an appeal against the ICO, the UK's privacy watchdog, who last year fined the AI company more than 7.5 million for unlawfully storing facial images. This sounds bonkers, Smear. Does this company have our faces in their database?
1: Potentially. um, Clearview scraped the internet for billions of photos. Just let that sink in. Billions of photos. So on the balance of probabilities... If you and I were, say, actively posting our feral nights out on a very public Facebook album, there's a good chance that image data was also scraped and is probably sitting in their data set somewhere.
0: Oh, my gosh. So Clearview won their appeal um, based on the fact that they're using their database for now only law enforcement and not in the UK, is that right?
1: Yeah, so they're currently offering their services to federal agencies and enforcement agencies in the US. The recent judgment also revealed that there were, um, that other countries like Panama, Brazil, Mexico and the Dominican Republic are also using the services of Clearview. So with this much image data, they can use it to train AI ML models and carry out facial recognition for the purposes of law and order.
0: So how are they using it in law enforcement?
1: So Clearview is going to use this, again, billions of photos to feed and train their artificial intelligence or machine learning models to carry out facial recognition for the purposes of law and order. These models would be running in a way that it can match an instance of um, shoplifting to an existing image on the internet if, say, the facial features match with each other. So I'm talking about some CSI-level law enforcement technology in the making.
0: Wow. So uh, the company are from the US. How can the ICO, a UK agency, possibly enforce our laws on them?
1: Honestly, Jonah, just by re- realising that, you should probably be a data privacy litigator because that's exactly the claims of Clearview AI. In 2022, the ICO or the Information Commissioner's Office um, ruled against Clearview's actions because it went against the principles of the GDPR or the UK's General Data Protection Regulations. Clearview then appealed, saying that the UK cannot find them because the data was used by non-UK law enforcement agencies. So that's the US, Panama, Brazil, and the others I mentioned earlier. They have since won this appeal, and it means two things. One, it sets a very dangerous precedent on the limitations of GDPR when data scraping is everything, and we see it so much with ChatGPT and generative AI. And two, it is unclear if Clearview ever deleted images taken from from UK-based residents, which was part of the ruling in 2022.
0: I felt pretty aware before about the risks of giving my data to companies, but I hadn't really considered the risks of giving my face to them. Um, There seems to be a growing trend of apps that will take a photo of your face and put you in a 90s yearbook or something. And there's even a new NBA game where you can scan your face and then play as yourself on the screen with your basketball heroes, which my first thought is that's amazing. But I, I imagine I should have a second thought on that, Smira.
1: Yes. And that's where I step in to fill in the little blanks. <laughs> and yes, you should be extremely aware. And this goes out to all the listeners. It is fun to see yourself in a 90s yearbook or it might be fun imagining yourself playing with basketball heroes but I would be extremely mindful about it in terms of the data that's going into it but going back to what's happening with Clearview it's also important for users to maybe be aware of how the data is being used and what they consent to in a lot of these cases one might not realize but you might be consenting to that data being shared with different companies
0: yeah that definitely does give me second thoughts I also read about using an AI picture of yourself to increase your chances of getting a job. I'm guessing there's risks there too?
1: Yes, definitely. And worse still, in some cases you're paying for this pleasure. In some cases you are literally paying to sell your data to these companies that might use it for other purposes that they have not revealed to you just yet.
0: Sorry, this is a... Slight side note, but it reminds me of something else um, that I discovered when I was exploring AI and job seeking. Apparently, you can use ChatGPT to help insert secret messages into your CV, like subliminal hire me messages and stuff like that. Is there anything in there? I'm imagining you're going to say possibly not, but...
1: You're right. I think you know me well enough now that... Yes, it's not true. Um, I, I I did fall for it as well because I came across a couple of Instagram reels that said the same thing, and uh, where in some cases they re- they mentioned how certain resumes people would use um, font in white text so it, it match- yeah. matches the background, but it includes keywords that say the hi- the person hiring might be looking out for. Whilst this might have been the case in certain instances in the past, it is not something that we should be actively contributing to. We should should probably give re- recruiters a bit more credit there very good at doing their job. And they're not, in some cases, at least, they're not just running them to, through machines so that they pick up on certain words. So yeah, Jonah, you could probably upload your pic to an AI generator and try to get a best version of yourself or use ChatGPT to apparently improve and encode secret messages on your CV. But that doesn't detract from the fact that you might not actually be skilled for the roles. So how long are you really going to keep the job?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It seems crazy that these companies, Um, like Clearview can have our beautiful faces in their databases and our law can't do anything about it. I'm presuming this access to huge sort of digital lineups in in criminal investigations screams ethical issues.
1: The issue with predictive policing can be understood in terms of two phases, right? So, we have the data design and the development phase, and then we have the post-deployment phase. So, let's look at the first phase. In terms of the data itself, is the data skewed towards certain groups? Then we can ask whether what the weightage is for different criminal activities. For instance, is theft or robbery given the same weightage as, say, homicide and murder? We can also look into, very importantly, other non-crime-related data sets. So, aspects like income, postcodes, one's upbringing, jobless, etc. may serve as proxies. These factors may be correlated to race, but is it a justified and ethical data set to be using to come to these conclusions about one's future criminal activity? The second way to look at it is the post-deployment phase, that is after this model is being used and the people who interact with it. There are a lot of cognitive biases that may lead to law and order personnel using those risk scores to determine harsher sentencing. These biases can include confirmation bias, or where a judge may interpret or favor a statistical outcome that aligns with their views. Another could be automation bias, wherein an individual may be more trusting of a machine output or an algorithm derived answer without understanding if there are faults within the machine or if there are instances of contradictory information coming to them. So these are two different ways of looking at it that really show that there are multiple ways that vulnerable groups can be negatively affected if those in charge of designing, developing and deploying these systems are not mindful of the biases that exist in society that are then laid into the technology that we use.
0: Yeah, that reminds me. Um, Hannah Fry's book, Hello World, is a brilliant starting place for understanding how historical bias has influenced sort of present day statistical bias. That was one I read when I got this job and wanted to learn some stuff about AI and data science. So that's about all we have time for this week's Mirror. I'm enjoying this podcast in Malarkey. Are you?
1: I definitely am Uh, you've given me a chance to look at areas that I might not have otherwise looked at and you've given me a lot to think about in terms of communicating very complex aspects in hopefully a more simplified manner
0: definitely you're doing a brilliant job oh thank you Each week, we're going to end with an optimistic note. So, Smeera, do you have anything to feel optimistic about in the world of AI?
1: Yes, I do. I actually read this really heartwarming story of Dr. Zeke Steer, who was inspired by his grandmother, who began showing signs of uh, dementia. So he developed wearable tech in socks. Um, And these socks can collect data from the ankle of the wearer, that's the dementia patient, and send that data back to an AI system. And that app can alert a care team if the person is distressed. And this can actually help so many people in our society who are suffering from early onset dementia and it also points to a larger trend in using wearable technology to improve the lives of so many people around us. So that's my bit of positive news for this week that everyone can look forward to.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Thank you for your time and expertise. I'll let you get back to spinning those turntables now, DJ Jeff.
1: Waka waka waa! Bye from you. That's
0: it for this week. We read so you didn't have to. We've learned that flying cars are really only in their infancy. You could call it a pilot scheme. We've learned that doom scrolling is not only bad for us, but bad for the planet. And we've learned that though the eyes are the window to the soul, the face is the key to your personal data. Check the show notes for any sources we referenced or quoted in this episode. Big thanks to Smira and the silent but vital Jesse who tries to steer our ramblings back on track. Visit us on Instagram at the Turing Inst and ask us anything on email at podcast at Turing.ac.uk. Subscribe and imbibe, share with someone who you think might care, and until next time, goodbye.